This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Great to see everybody. And uh, we're going to continue on our study as we usually do. We're halfway through Acts chapter 5. Um, and is our custom. We go through the notes from last week, update ourselves, get ourselves familiar, see if there's any extra questions that anybody's had during the week about it. Um, we will pray, as we usually do. That's uh, Neville will pray, who's our spiritual director here, um, and top intercessor for us. And, uh, and then we will go and, and read the text and then discuss it um, first. Just on a surface value, what, what initially jumps out at the text for us, if there's something that we've seen before, if there's something that we've never seen. Um, I don't know about you, but every now and again, new verses appear in my Bible, uh, which I swear were not there before. Um, and uh, especially Jesus, he often says some new things uh, to me. And, uh, and, then, and then we'll see how far we get. So brothers and sisters, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time set aside to come together in your name and study your word. Mm -hmm. Lord, we pray through your Holy Spirit to be amongst us and within us, to lead us and to guide us, Amen. and to bless this occasion, Lord, for your glory. Amen. For your glory. Amen. Amen. So, just reading over the notes as we go from last week, which was Acts chapter 5, 1 to, uh, to 16. <clears throat> Uh, actually, it was also included a little bit of Acts 4. The sacred history of the early church, and that's what the book of Acts is. As a genre, it is sacred history. Right? It's not an epistle, it's not a gospel, it's not a prophetic text. Okay? Um, it's not eschatology like Revelation. The sacred history of the early church demonstrates a sharing of possessions, generosity and compassion, and a care for the poor among the believers. It is not a model of a socialist movement. It is not the formation of a kibbutz or the biblical model for the redistribution of wealth. As some people would like to look. This is a history of how the early church cared for its members. Acts indicates the apostles continue to share the witness of the resurrection, but neglects to inform us of what the rest of the community was doing. It tells us that the apostles were doing something, but not what the other 5,000 people were. Which seems to indicate a form of hierarchical structure. We are told that wealthy people make up membership of the community, as do the poor. However, their generosity includes the selling of property, not all of it, to care for the needy. We are introduced to Joseph the Levite from Cyprus, who sells some land and gives the proceeds to the apostles for distribution. This brings in the issue of how the Levite can own property, as according to Mosaic law, that's Numbers 35, the Levites were not given lands or inheritances. So they had nothing that was theirs that they could pass on to their children. They were given cities of refuge. Perhaps Joseph, later to be named Barnabas, acquired his wealth by a marriage. All the rules perhaps don't apply outside the land of Israel. In any case, we note that the Jewish people retained a knowledge of their tribal allotment despite being outside the land. So we have lots of cases of Jews outside the land of Israel even after the dispersion of the ten tribes, already continuing to know who they're from. Okay. 
thus far in Acts, we have witnessed only positive actions and results of the Holy Spirit and his work among the people. Now we see a not-so-positive result of the Holy Spirit with the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. From the incident, we note that it is possible to lie to the Holy Spirit, and this has results. We learn we cannot hide the truth of the heart from the Lord. And there is a parallel story to this event in the book of Joshua, which is also sacred history, in chapter 7, with the sin of Achan. Peter, who currently retains leadership of the Jerusalem community, declares Satan has aided them in deception. The person and work of Satan becomes a theme in the Second Temple period literature and beyond. He had not been present in the texts of the First Temple period, and this demonstrates theological development and the acknowledgement of angelology, heavenly powers, and the unseen spirit world. Ananias and Sapphira are charged with testing the Holy Spirit. The deaths of several members of the community, note Ananias and Sapphira, are not non-believers. They are believers, and they are members of our community. We're not killing pagans here. They were killing us. So the deaths of several members of the community occurs in, in the sacred history genre, not in a gospel or in a prophetic text. Most likely, this serves as a sign to the early community of the purity of God and the sanctity of his spirit, and not as a pattern that will occur wrathful results if we lie to the Holy Spirit. For example, does anyone know of anyone dropping dead after they've lied to the Holy Spirit? It doesn't seem to be a very common occurrence around the world. It should be noted that the actual text in Acts does not say they were killed by Peter, or even by the hand of God. Those details are simply not included. It just says that they fell down dead. Now, no blame is assigned. As noted above, Peter retains the leadership of the community. However, later he will be replaced by James, that's Jacob, the brother of Jesus. Why the future leadership change? We are not told. Several commentators note that fear grips the community, right? That's what it says in Acts after this event. And also of those not inside the community. So people are afraid, both inside and out. While the number of believers continues to grow, the incident perhaps left a mark on the image of Peter. Okay? Although this is really unknown. That is, people will go, ah, there's Peter. He's that guy that killed those guys. Yeah. Even though it wasn't him, you could still see that there could be a stain on his name and or reputation. And so perhaps... One of the reasons why he's, he's actually replaced is, come on, Peter, this really isn't a good thing. Or simply, he was actually told to go and itinerate. And we know that he did. We know, according to the New Testament, he showed up in Galatians. He showed up in Corinth. He showed up in Rome. And, uh, and so you end up with this uh, Peter actually doing itinerant preaching, just like Paul did, although without a book to describe those actions. However... Acts continues to demonstrate the apostles' power over the sick and the demonic. Though Satan has been acknowledged, the believing community can overcome his influence through miracles, healing, and the curing of those with tormenting spirits. Acts gives a note of honor to Peter by writing that those requiring healing sought his presence and even his shadow, perhaps trying to keep Peter's profile in a positive light. So... That's what we get from the first 16 verses. Anybody want to make a comment on 
our discussion from last week. I get the feeling that uh, Luke writing this, he just wants to be really careful about what he says. Could so be. he doesn't attribute the death to Peter. He just kind of, just the facts. Yep. You know. um, and then turns around and says, look how wonderful this guy is. People sought him. Even his shadow would, would, would help. So he's not that of a scary person. I mean, he has a real desire to, for accuracy and not to be, get carried away with interpretations of, of the, either the accounts or the text he's received or yeah. um, putting this together. Hmm? Well, he does make the explicit statement as well, however, that to uh, analyze that Satan has filled your heart. Yeah. Uh, God isn't the only actor in this drama here, and I just saw you here. Yes, the, that's, that's the bit where um, in the Second Temple period, Satan does become a prominent actor in theology, as do angels. Angels suddenly uh, get names, they get numbered, they have uh, missions, they uh, do battle, um, and, uh, and that, that theology shows up even into uh, New Testament writings, Christi early Christian writings, and the Talmud. Okay, in the I have a question on this topic. I've always wondered what scripture Jesus had the authority to use to say the, the guardian angels of the children behold the Father in heaven. In terms of Hebrew Bible, the, of that we have right now. Well, or whether it's something that arose in the kind of intertestamental period, that kind of understanding of guardian well, angels for children, or you know, at least angels who represent children before God. Right. It's a... Um, the the idea of a of a sheer number of angels uh, that that everybody has first appears, to my knowledge, though it could be earlier, in Pierre de Rabieliezer, where he makes it. This is a guy who's actually uh, a, a generation after Jesus, so it, it could just be an attribution to him, or it actually could be earlier. Uh, and he makes a comment that the angels that descend in Genesis 6 do so on Mount Hermon, which is, which is the reason why it's named Mount Hermon. Harmon in Hebrew means many, the mountain of the many. Well, who are the many? It, it's, these are the angels who descended, and, uh, and they give them all names, and they're all the bad angels, and, um, which, is, which is bad. And then he also makes a comment that when God came down to give his Torah on, at Mount Sinai, he came with 600,000 angels. Why? How many men came out of Egypt? 603,000. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 you don't get one. <laughs> but but the, the implication being, and the theological implication is that everybody had a... And you go, it is, except that the next comment is, didn't stop them from sinning with the golden cow. <laughs> so it's nice to say, oh, we've got a guardian angel, isn't that fantastic? Well, it is fantastic, but it doesn't help you very much, does it? Mm. I mean, you go, an angel comes along and says, okay, I'm your guardian angel. Why are you building that idol for? Oh, you're an idiot. Should I stop him? I ain't going to stop him. Okay. Um, and then what's your job then? I'm guarding. <laughs> okay. Against what? <laughs> but, uh, it, but it is interesting, Neville, that... that that theology is there somewhere in the Second Temple period. They, they really begin to flesh out and develop the, uh, the unseen world. They acknowledge its presence. They acknowledge that it's actually close. Mm -hmm. 
uh, they begin to name angels, mm -hmm. which we hadn't seen before. Why is there a shift? Why is why is there all of a sudden this new sensitivity to the spiritual realm and an understanding? Uh, the shock of in the first temple period, God was quite a local God. He lived and ruled and reigned in Zion, and he actually had a temple. And to the point where we can do anything we like because God's right there. And why would he want to destroy his temple? Because, and then all of a sudden he got so upset, he did. Mm -hmm. And it was a massive theological shock for the people of Israel to turn around and go, but God was there. What is God doing? And so here they are in, in Babylon and they're exposed to a Zoroastrian sort of influence, which, which had a very well-developed sense of spirits. In fact, in the, in the Zoroastrian Chaldean uh, pantheon, the Chaldean tribe was so special that they could talk to spirits. And that's the reason why in the book of Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he needs people to understand his dream, it says he brings in his necromancers, he brings in his sorcerers, he brings in his magicians, and he brings in his Chaldeans. They're a people group. And who's Abraham? Abraham is from the... He's Chaldean, and that's why he can talk to God, right? Because he's already, he's part of that tribal group that just has a connection to the spirit world. So here we are in Babylon, and we're beginning to learn that actually things aren't as clear-cut as we thought they were. And when we come out of Babylon, we've developed, we've first of all taken their calendar, and we've changed everything into, <laughs> into their gods, um, and they admit that, okay? So the Jewish calendar today is named after Babylonian gods. And, uh, and they begin to develop their own but they, uh, understanding of how the spirits look. So they go back into the text and they begin to see, well, who is the spirit? Uh, well, what does that actually mean? Oh, that must be the Shekinah. Who is this voice that speaks face to face with people? Well, that must be uh, the angel. And so they begin to pick this, uh, yeah, they begin to flesh it out. And then they say, what are these angels' names? I don't know. And then suddenly we get Gabriel, Michael, and then when you get to the Book of Enoch and the Book of Jubilees, they fill it with so many names. They want to know who Azazel is in Leviticus. Okay? So he becomes one of the angels in Genesis 6. Azazel is this, is this angel who's buried in the desert where you actually throw the scapegoat. Because it says in Leviticus, you will take your goat to Azazel. And we, all our translations translate that as wilderness. But that is not the word for wilderness. Azazel is a name of a person. And, uh, and so they have a very well developed uh, thing. And we incorporate that as Christians and Jewish believers. We incorporate that into our tradition. We, we believe in angels, yes? We believe that they're here. We believe that, that everyone's got one. Right? You know, we, they have names. They can talk. And uh, where do we get all this idea from? We get it from the Jewish people in the Second Temple period. And then uh, the book of Acts is a Second Temple period text. So it is perfectly reflecting that, that tradition. And Jesus had access to those texts that we don't have access to. Oh, and we do. They're on the internet. But... Um, yes. Yes. That's right, it's a bad, very bad curse. And it's a biblical curse, but it's got a modern, modern flavor. But in Hebrew, uh, it was, you would put, in 
Biblical Hebrew, you would put all your guilt and sin on this goat and you would dump it on Azazel. So Azazel had done something so bad and God was so annoyed that he had Michael capture him, bury him in the desert and then say every single year you will dump all the sins of the world on him. And you think, well, why would God do that? But in Exodus 17, when Amalek comes out to fight the children of Israel, right? And, and, and Moses puts his hands up. At the end of that passage, God says, I will have war with Amalek forever. And you go, why? What, what, what? You want, you're the Lord God. You want to have war with a human tribe? You could just go, bing, and they're gone. But something annoyed God so much. That he said, oh no, I, I have a war with these people forever. I took my people out of Egypt and you want to make them slaves? No, you don't do that. That's so against my plan. And we have, to, we have to remember that we serve a very powerful God. And he is at the same time loving and kind. And he is generous and merciful. And he is compassionate and close. At the same time, he is also holy and pure. And if you go against him... Look what happened to our brothers here. You lied against the Holy Spirit and they fell down dead. And it just reminds us again that, that our God is wonderful and there is a sense of awe and the fear of the Lord, which is actually a positive thing. So great and wonderful is his deeds. Anyway, uh, any, anything else in the text? I've always found it interesting that um, that that that. Peter loses his leadership without any explanation. Um, and I, and, and, and I, I, I would like to think it was just because he's an apostle and he's supposed to go walk about. You know, I, I just, but it also could be that, well, he actually had a few black marks against his name and eventually they said, really, you're not, you're not the best leader around here, brother. Um, you know, you've got foot and mouth disease, you keep... Uh, 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 killing people, it's you know, a little bit rough. But I don't know. No, I'm not sure. Alright, so shall we have a look at their, their second uh, go before the Sanhedrin? So we will pick it up at Acts 5.17 and we'll finish the chapter. And I'll start. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they had this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. The center of prisons will be found on the instructions of the city, and as a people standing inside the prisons, but when it opened, we found them among the scene. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. 
Then the captain went off with the officers and brought the emissaries, but not with force, because they feared they might be stoned by the people. That's me. Mm-hmm. And when they had brought them, they <clears throat> they set them before the council, <clears throat> and the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness for sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who are him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. Some time ago, Jesus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After the spell of Judah the Galilean rose up in the days the days of the census and got people to follow him. He also pierced, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. To uh, For if this plan of their, this undertaking is of man it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Oh man, awesome. Okay, and we're done. No. no. Okay, so on on a s- initial surface reading, just just on a you know pashat, is there anything there that jumps out? Is there anything there that you haven't noticed before, or something that you always notice when you read this passage? Well, I noticed just for the first time a few days ago. This phrase of this life, I hadn't seen that before. Maybe it's this, I haven't read this verse in this translation, but it's in. Which oh. So this is verse. Uh, it's, the an, it's the angel's command, right? Yes. yes. Speak to the people all the words of this life. <coughs> I also found that I was like, this what an life. interesting command. Yeah. As a point, because in, in, in a normal, you know, Protestant ears, you would have heard, go forth and preach the gospel. <laughs> oh, okay. But here is, go forth and talk about this new life. Interesting. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, I noticed that one too and thought, weird. I don't remember reading that before. No, I did not remember reading that before. (laughs) I'm sure they're supposed to go preach the gospel. (coughs) Anything else that uh, that jumps out for people? For me, it's very 
verses 36 and 37, how they mention these people that they rose up. Yeah. People follow him and then they're scattered. So I can imagine the confusion in, in the people to accept any kind of teaching that comes up to seeing people rise up. You know, like. Well, in context, um, what has actually happened for, with the Maccabees? What have the Maccabees done? Right? They, they, uh, they rose up against the Greeks. Everything seemed to be going well. But then it imploded upon themselves. Right? And then they invited the, uh, eventually the Romans in. And the Romans created con con had conquered. And so rebellion, what does it eventually lead to? Problems. Right? Uh, and so there was a, there's definitely a, a nervousness amongst the elite to say, oh my gosh, every time we rise up with this messianic fervor, uh, we just get crushed. So we've got to stop it. Uh, no one has a clue who this Thutis is. Uh, he's only ever mentioned here. No one's got a clue. The other guy, though, Judas the Galilee, uh, Judas the Galilean, is also mentioned in Josephus Flavius. So he, he mentions this, this guy who also had a rebellion up north. And because um, Joseph Flavius comes from the Galilee. He was the commander uh, against the Romans during the revolt there. So he, uh, he knew of the traditions of, of those people. And the Galileans had a reputation for service. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And maybe even that's implied in the statement, can anything good, good come out of Nazareth? Apart from the fact that Nazareth was a, uh, an almost nothing town. Yeah. It's a uh, podunk town. Yeah, but all you get from them is zealots. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that what it, uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So let's have a look at uh, our text at a, at, a, at a more in-depth level. All right. So the high priest and all his associates who are members of the party of the Sadducees are filled with jealousy. All right. Which high priest are we talking about? This would be Caiaphas, Joseph Caiaphas. Okay, there is actually a tension as to who actually really was the high priest. The text has Caiaphas, but it also keeps mentioning, sometimes in the same breath, a guy called Annas. Annas. And um, it's because the tradition had been that the high priest stayed high priest until he died. But by this stage, unfortunately, we have corrupted ourselves in the temple and we're replacing the high priests uh, sort of kind of often. Um, bribery, this, that, and the other. It wasn't dynastic like it should have been. So there were some people who still considered Annas to be the high priest and there were those that considered the new guy Caiaphas to be the high priest. And the New Testament sometimes mentions all their names and sometimes just decides, well, we'll just skip it. Okay. I believe one is either the son or the son-in-law of the other. Yes, that's correct. They were related by family. Caiaphas yeah. is the son-in-law of Annas. Mm -hmm. yeah. no, I got the impression that Annas was, wasn't booted out by his contemporaries. Or at least he was relieved by the Roman authorities. Maybe right. he was just a little bit too... Something. Yeah, dangerous. Yeah. But he stayed around. Yeah. Like he, he stayed very close to the upper echelon. And in fact, it appears together, side by side. I mean, maybe he was just too actually powerful, influential, and persuasive. Yeah. They needed someone else in the top job. Could be. Yeah. And they're definitely members of the Sadducees, as we have. Uh, we know who they are. These are. This is a Jewish community who has a very limited Bible. Right. They're only reading 
um, the Pentateuch and the Torah and maybe uh, Joshua. Um, not 100% sure whether that was uh, true. But different people, there was no Bible as we know of a Bible today. So all different communities and different groups had different books in their canon. Right? Exactly the same situation as we have today in the, uh, in the, in the Christian world. No change. Okay? Just more books. Um, now these, these people, these, these elite, it says they're filled with jealousy. What are they jealous of, do you think? <coughs> what, sorry? What are they jealous of? It's just a one word answer, attention. <laughs> attention, yeah. Jealous no one. of the power of the Holy Spirit that they didn't believe in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could be. Yes. But it's interesting, isn't it? So, what, what, are, what exactly are they jealous of? This miracle has occurred. And they're jealous. And 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 how do we apply that to us? What do we get jealous of? Do we get jealous of other people's ministries? Do we get jealous of other people's good fortunes? Or when somebody does a great thing for the Lord, do we uh, say that's wonderful, or do we actually feel jealous? Also, next question: Is jealousy a sin? God gets jealous. So therefore, by definition, it can't be. But isn't jealousy related to covetousness? Envy might be. Yeah. But and so that that's somewhere just along the word. Yes. Somewhere along the line, in the word jealousy, there is a positive aspect and a negative aspect. And um, so you, know, you can be jealous of your wife, which is a good thing. But... Um, uh, envious of somebody else's wife, that would be a bad thing. <laughs> In Hebrew, we have uh, two prepositions. One, one is the good kind and one is the bad kind. So you're jealous of or you're jealous for. Yes. It works very nicely. The language tells you exactly what you should think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so when it says God is jealous, he is jealous for. And, uh, and here, uh, they're, they're filled with jealousy. They have witnessed a miracle. This all should be positive. Um, these are not. They're not. They're not arresting them for the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. That's not what they're arresting them of. Um, although, it's interesting that they are not. Think about it. Somebody died, and we haven't had any investigations. Has a murder been done? We're we doing an autopsy here. You know, we're getting Sherlock Holmes to come out and go, why are those two people dead? Peter, they walked inside your tent and then they came out dead. And we're not happy about this. Okay? But we're not, nothing happens. No, there seems to be no fallout from the deaths of two people in the community. Now, either no one was bothered or no one heard about it. Although people, the text does say that there was great fear. Or um, there was other information that's not included in this text to explain uh, the fallout of the result. But uh, definitely the high priests are not jealous of that. Oh, these guys can kill people by just looking at them. I want that power too, please. But, uh, it was almost certainly crystal clear to them that this spiritual movement 
stood against and undermined everything that their system, their worldview, their livelihood, the money they were raking in from the temple. It was yeah. all going down the drain in front of their very eyes in their perception. In their perception. And the only way to deal with it was how they, the devil's people knows how to deal with things. Yeah, so we grab the leaders, we grab the guys who are, who are will bite their head off the snake. Okay. I think the thing they're, je they're jealous of is probably this Peter would walk along and even his shadow would heal people. Yeah. That I can imagine them getting oh, I wish I had that. That would just, not having to say anything, just walk down the street and these people would yeah, come. Yeah, and then, then they'd give me money. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So they, 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 grabbed, they grabbed the leaders, they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. Uh, and again, okay, they do it for, I don't know what, why they do it at night. I mean, um, but again, this, this idea that they're overnight in jail because they'll have a morning trial. Now, if, if you were really smart, wouldn't you just arrest them at six o'clock in the morning? <laughs> oh, they've come for morning prep. And we could try them right there. But they don't. For whatever reason, they are, they are arrested at night. They know the law, they are keepers of the law, and they obey the law, so they don't have a trial at night. Um, but something happens. During the night, what does everybody's text say? I have an angel of the Lord open the doors of the jail. What does anybody else got? Uh, does anybody have the angel of the Lord? No. Nope, so it's all okay. Angel. Angel. Angel of the Lord. Yep. Yeah, yeah and it's 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 Angelos the the Curion. Angelos the Curion. Yeah. So uh, it's it's definitely one. So who is this angel? Whoever was on uh, on night duty that day. It was on night duty. Because the 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 Bible knows how to name angels. Luke knows how to name angels. He he named Gabriel. But all of a sudden, we get an unnamed angel doing his job, and we don't know who he is. And no, Lila, he's not Jesus. <laughs> because if it was Jesus. The text would tell you. It has no no qualms about telling you that he rose from the dead or that he ascended to heaven and all this kind of stuff. But uh, it's definitely definitely angel. Um, the guardian angel. Their guardian angel showed up. I'm really sorry. I wasn't paying attention. Um, but I'm here now, boys. Okay, and away we go. Um, you could also translate it messenger. Yes, you could. I mean, when we use angel in English, that's. Uh supernatural, pure and simple, out of wherever. Yep. But a messenger? Who knows exactly what the source or nature of the messenger was? Yep. The messenger has to come from somebody to do something. Yeah. In, um, in, in, in the Hebrew Bible, you have Malach Elohim, you have the angel of the Lord come and do various things. And only once in Isaiah do you have this very obscure guy called... Uh, uh, the angel of the presence. It only occurs once in Isaiah uh, 63, I think. And, and this is an obscure type of angel. 
And we have no idea who it is, but it is interesting and I think worthy to note that in the Septuagint, everybody knows what the Septuagint is. Yes, okay, no, Septuagint. Septuagint is Greek Old Testament. Okay, the Greek Bi the Hebrew Bible that gets translated into Greek several hundred years prior to Jesus and is widely read, in fact, the most widely read of the Bibles. Okay? Uh, at the time of Jesus, you had the Bible in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And they are, and they are different. Okay? And our, our Bible, New Testament, only quotes Septuagint Greek. Okay, and which is interesting to note. And in Septuagint Greek, when you get to Isaiah 63, they don't call him the angel of the Lord or the Melachapanim. Do you know what they call him? God. Yeah, for there you go, the angel of the face. No, that's actually God himself. And you now that's an interesting little piece of theology when you get into the second, late Second Temple period where they begin to, to, to say that God can actually manifest his presence in the form of a spirit being an angel, okay. uh, which is an interesting little move there. I just thought it was worth announcing. But here we have an unnamed angel. Not sure who he is, but what can he do? He can open doors. Right? He's pretty good at it. And he can talk. So, which is great. So he doesn't have a heavenly language that no one can understand. Right? What can he do? He actually communicates in whatever language they're communicating here. And if an, if an angel can talk, what is else that means he can do? Everything. Breathe. Yeah. Try talk without breath, you cannot do it. So the physiology of angels is interesting to think of. Okay. They somehow can eat as well as magically appear left, right and center and move at interesting speeds. Mm -hmm. But here you have this guy talking. And so what does he say? And this is this thing that um, Neville and I had an interesting look at. I'd like to talk to you with you about it. So we open up a door. Go. Go where? To the temple. Go public. <laughs> Back to the temple. Yeah. And uh, do what? Speak to the people. Speak to the people about new life. Why did he not say, go talk about Jesus? What does it mean to go and talk about the new life? Like if, if an, let's just say an angel came to you tonight and said, Goldie, I'm going to open this door because I'm really good at it. <laughs> okay, watch me. Okay, now go. Go into the streets of Ben Yehuda and tell them about this new life. What would you say? What, what, what does it mean to you when you hear new life? The new life. This new life. It doesn't have a new life. Just this life. This life? Mm -hmm. It's because the resurrection place already during the book of Acts. The resurrection people, when is God resurrect? Jesus' second birth. The, yes, the but first, it isn't. In a, yes, there and is a power to make them activate Sure. Their life new. Right, but the, the, what a, the, when the Bible wants to talk about resurrection, Acts knows how to talk about resurrection and use the yeah, word resurrection. It, it but they don't the talk, they say that. Lord. They say life. Go talk about this life. I think it might imply that it's not really enough just to repeat what you've heard or what you've heard that right. uh, Jesus has said. Right. It's got to come from 
your relationship with the Holy Spirit by then has added to the words of Jesus. The literal statement is speak all the words of this life. So it's a little bit more bounded. Yes. So they've got to talk about the new life they've got and um, not just things that are in history. So it's got to be much more of a an expression of the life they're living rather mm -hmm. than what they've heard. Yeah, which which includes resurrection. Of course. But it, but not only so. It includes yeah. more than that. Because they will change. The, yes. Right, but we're, we're actually in the Greek, it doesn't have the word new. That's actually an, an interplay by our translators. Like the translation that I've got, uh, when it gets down to by hanging him on a, on a tree, it says cross. Okay? It, it's, it's following a. It's following a uh, Remember the cook, Stephen? Yeah. He was persecuted, and uh, Saul thought his garment upon him. Yeah. And you saw Jesus was standing beside the Father. Yeah. And that was a tremendous new testimony of the book of Acts because the ascension of the Lord and resurrection of God. Yeah. So they are all witnesses. And this is why they propagate for this. That's one of the things. Yeah. But here and they're also propagating the something more. So if you heard, what, if you, an angel told you, what would you go and do? What would you say? What do you say? It's your testimony. Your testimony. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Story. So I'll ask him for clarification. You'd ask him for clarification? <laughs> you would say, like what you did with the door? <laughs> now flesh out the command of the door. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Don't you love the Islanders? They're really... <laughs> I'll be glad to go, but could you come with me? Would you come with me? I'm not going by myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's also interesting. Yeah, the angel just shows up, lets the mountains, like, oh, fine. I'm not even going to hang around when uh, the jailers come. The, the human mediation here is the, is the point, I think, because uh, God has determined that the work be continued through human beings. Uh, the angels may pitch up on occasion and hope and push or prod privately, but it, it's human beings that have to do it on, on the open stage of history. Yeah, what a plan, eh? <coughs> yeah. Okay, so, uh, so at daybreak, so they, this occurs at night, and then they are released, and then they, they go at daybreak. Uh, they enter the temple. Now, it's interesting that they, they can only do this at daybreak. They can't get in at night because it's locked. I mean, sure, the angel could probably have opened those doors too. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's right. But uh, they they enter. There, so they're there for um, for morning prayer, okay, or what they call shacharit. The, the, the that's the morning sacrifice. Uh, they go there as they have been told, and they begin to teach the people. Now, um, again, we're not told exactly how many of the apostles this is. All right. In Acts 6, it says 12, but in Acts 5, it, and so previously it has not mentioned any number uh, except Acts 1. And so we're not 100% sure of the timeline. It might not be chronological. Just like in Acts 3, it starts one day. Yeah. Okay? You're not sure when it's all put together, and you're not sure when the apostles actually split or how many times they come back to Jerusalem. So it's, an, it's a number. But if they wanted to say 12, they could have, but they chose not to. 
it still could be O12 too, I'm not sure. Um, then the high priest and his associates arrive. So when they arrive, where do they go? Where are they arriving to? On their Their place of work, yes. And what is that? On the Temple Mount. Yes. Yes, they're members of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin actually has some office space. Right. So wherever the apostles are, obviously they weren't right out front. And the Temple Mount platform, as you know, when you've been up there, is actually rather large. So it is possible for the apostles to have been over there, and uh, our Sanhedrin show up and go into their offices and say, right, okay, let's get ourselves organized. Now someone go to the prison and uh, fetch, our, fetch our friends. Um, despite the fact that, you know, 50 meters away, unbeknownst to them, because they can't see it, it's around a corner, uh, they're doing their, their thing. Um, so the high priest and his associates arrive. They call together the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin is made up of the full assembly of the elders of Israel, okay, which includes the party of the Pharisees and the party of the Sadducees. And they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at our said jail, the officers don't find them there. So they go back and report. And uh, what do they say? We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. Okay. So how did they get out? Well, uh, the angel must have locked the doors as well, don't they? Yeah. So not, not only he covers his tracks, but there were guards. The, the, so far, we've never heard of guards yet. We're just locked doors. So we haven't knocked the guards out. We haven't... Right? It hasn't been. Interesting. The public prisons? Yes. Is that the Roman public prisons? The yes. Jewish public <laughs> It's probably not the Roman public prison. Yeah. Because actually, so far, we haven't heard about Romans at all. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Book of Acts hasn't been bothered about Roman soldiers. Okay. It will later. But at the moment, so I'm not sure, John. I'm going to. I mean, I assume it's Jewish. I'm going with yeah, Jewish temple prison. They just threw them in jail. Yeah. At a trial without. Yeah. So, uh, so the guards are standing at the doors. We haven't heard about these guys before, but apparently they're there. Um, and when we opened them, we found no one inside. Um, as opposed to you know, so the public prison might have actually been empty that day. On hearing the report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. <clears throat> what are some of the uh, possibilities for our uh, security officer? The guards are um, in with the disciples to let them out and let yep. them up again. Although I would assume that would the guards have had the keys? Or... I don't know. Yeah. I mean, um, all kinds of things could go through your brain. You could go with collusion. Oh, you, they're disciples as well. They let them out. In which case, how do those guards feel? Well, there be a penalty though. There would be a penalty. Releasing prisoners? Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are just embarrassing. Oh, yes. Yes. That's right. Whatever you do, stop, don't let him guard. He's absolutely useless. <laughs> okay? Right. I mean, you might not be embarrassed for long, though. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We'll show you how to lock someone up. In you go. I mean, what happened with the uh, Philippian jailer? He, he knew that it was a... Yeah, know, it was, yeah. That was Roman. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, 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 this guy can't kill anybody. Yes, yeah, so this is, this is Jewish justice. And, and, but they're still nervous, though, because um, they've, 
they've blown it, right? Um, somehow, has there been some inside uh, work? How many of the guards are actually bought and paid for by the disciples now? Who actually can we trust? You know, all kinds of conspiracy theories um, go up. And what's interesting is um, you, 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 you can see that occur in, in, in the evil world. You know, you know, what's that expression? There's no honor among thieves. You know, evil often eats evil. You know, it devours itself. Um, so then someone came and they said, look, oh my gosh, these are those guys that we said, well, they're actually over there. And these men are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that time, the captain went with his officers and he brought the apostles, though he did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. So what does that tell you about uh, the atmosphere in Jerusalem? Yes. That, you know, you're the temple guards, you've got weapons, you're doing your job, and yet you're actually afraid of everybody else. And, and where would they get their stones from? What does that tell you about the temple? <laughs> There's a stone quarry nearby. They're like, you know, if, 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 if there must be, we have no idea. We have no idea whether there were rocks lying around everywhere. I'm just going to go worship the Lord. Ow, what the heck is that doing there? Wasn't it still being built? It was still being built. Well, not the platform. I imagine that was finished a while back. We're talking about, you know, the 80 Yeah, but we're talking about 10 tons stones as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That got him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it, it it is interesting that um, that for some reason there were piles of rocks laying around enough that would cause concern for an armed force that they would and the atmosphere in Jerusalem was a little tense and uh, uh, and and they were scared. We better be very careful because actually these guys might come and get us. Um, which is which is interesting. Um, the the apostles were brought in and they were made to appear before the Sanhedrin again, to be questioned by the high priest again. Don't get his name. Could have done it, but for whatever reason, um, the the as part of their charge, we give you strict orders not to teach. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. What don't they ask? How'd you get out? <laughs> it's like, um, did, who'd you bribe? Who, tell me who you bribed to get out of here. You know, like, for whatever reason, our pieces, they might have asked that question, but our sacred history isn't, isn't might not be giving us the full conversation. Um, that might be one of the questions I would ask if I had seen, didn't I lock you up? How'd you get out of here? Um, but their, their thing is, uh, we told you not to teach, and they, that's true. They did that. We have a recording where they forbid them from teaching, which we promptly disobey. Um, what's the charge? What, what's the the charge is? You filled Jerusalem with your teaching, so your this movement and and the stuff that you're saying is going everywhere. So what are they teaching? Teaching the resurrection. Resurrection. Big problem for Sadducean <coughs> theology. Not for Pharisees, though, who are present. Right? So, um, 
the Pharisees would be saying, no, this is a good thing to be teaching about. We love this stuff. Nope, they do not. And, uh, and, and the other thing is they say, you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Is that true? Literally to bring on us the blood of blood. this man, even though they a short time earlier been saying his blood be on us and on our children. Yes. So, is that what the disciples are teaching? No. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, and yes, at the same time. Yes. So it's not that they're running around saying, Hey, I'll tell you an incredible story. See those guys up there? This is what they did. Rather, as just yeah, part of the story, it comes out, you know, well, who killed Jesus again? What was our leadership? Um, and they did it clandestine. They did it. Remember that guy? How we were? He was on a donkey, and we had all the palm branches and things. The very next day, you know, we wake up and the guys, in, you know, hanging on a cross. Um, uh, and 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 so their 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 charge also reflects their fear. They're afraid that this message is so popular, and they're afraid that you're blaming me. Because if you keep blaming me, what might happen? Those stones that were over there might start coming my way. And, uh, you know, you've got to stop that. So Peter and the other apostles, again, Peter's still the leader here. Okay, He has a, a great line. What's his great line? We must obey God rather than human beings. Okay? And uh, that's awesome. And can sometimes, as we say, uh, I can do anything through a verse taken out of context. <laughs> right? We can have, you know, my boss come along and go, Aaron, you need to do this. No, I shall obey God rather than man. <laughs> Acts 5. <laughs> okay? And suddenly, you know, we're not doing anything, our human masters say. But we do have bosses, don't we? And we do have to do what they say. So, but here, okay, so, so we have to keep it in context. We cannot take a verse out of context and make this a blanket case for running around and doing whatever the heck we like. Um, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey the Lord, must obey God rather than human beings. And in this case, it is referring to what? The preaching of the Messiah. That's, that's it. You told us to stop, we cannot. That is not something we can do. Okay? Now tell me to wash the dishes, fine. But, but uh, preaching the Lord, I cannot do that. Uh, that I have to keep doing. And... Uh, his, his, his next line is very interesting. Well, it's just for me. Yep, 30. The God of our ancestors. Right? And uh, has raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection again. Love that resurrection. Whom you killed. <laughs> you know, you're, telling, you're blaming us. Well, yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, this comes also in, in the first time that there before, in, in chapter 4, mm -hmm. it says uh, uh, when they're up before the Sanhedrin because of the healing that they did. Mm -hmm. And they said, let it be known that to all of you and to all the people of Israel that, that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. You know, so it's this really telling them, you know, just making it very kind of personal to the Sanhedrin that they were involved with the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So they're, they're kind of saying the same thing, different words. Mm. Whom you killed by hanging on a tree. Yep, on a tree. Yeah, I mean, the, the Greek word there kind of can also mean wood or wooden beam that you hang on a tree. Um, and not necessarily in, in the cross shape, but it actually has a different Greek word. Um, the, but it also reflects that uh, at the time of, of, of Roman crucifixion, we have, a, we have an image of you know, a piece of wood and another piece of wood like that. And, and we tend to make it like they're planks. Uh, and we find it in our art, we find it in our movies. Um, uh, more historically accurate, it's a tree. Yeah. And he's carrying the cross. He's board. carrying the cross. So it's also wood. This is a yep. Hebraicism. It's etz. It is coming through here. Yes. It was undoubtedly etz or yep. whatever the Aramaic equivalent was. Right. When Saul went to Damascus, he was trying to catch the Christians there because they believed Jesus, the one is to be cursed because he was hanging on cross. Tree. Tree, tree is mean hang on the tree. Yeah, because that's what because it, it's reflecting the the Hebrew, which yeah. comes from biblical Hebrew, yeah. that cursed is the man who hangs on a net. Right. So and how can you follow a person which is cursed? Well, this is why yeah. this is why Saul wanted to kill the Christians. Right. And right now yeah. his proclamation proclamation is outstanding. He says the one was crucified, the support to be cursed is resurrected. Right, dude. Yeah. Yes, it goes in the place of all, all um and really disturbing to those people. Very much. Religious, really disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. This curse one to be resurrected. Crazy. So a couple of things there. It's 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 uh, reflecting a Hebrew word, and it's also also acknowledging the Jewishness of the faith. The God. It's not a new God, right? As some people would like us to think in our modern period. It's uh, this is the God of our ancestors, the God of our fathers. It's the same God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The, he has not changed. And um, so the one that did the flood, the one that created the world, the one that uh, you know sent the prophets, is the same one who resurrected this guy. And uh, so, and God has exalted him to His own right hand as what. What, have you, what word have you got in verse 31? God. What would you, what, if you were, if you were going to write that sentence, what would you put? What's, what's the one word that's missing? Oh uh, yeah, I guess so. Keep, keep going. King. Yeah. Right. We call him King Jesus, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. But here, they have for some for some reason, they have a different word to describe it. It's a great word. It's a fantastic word. It's very high, right? But um, and I don't know the reason why that for whatever reason you don't say this. See, it's also going in Greek. It probably goes back to Nasi. Could be. In uh, Hebrew, which is uh, used in the Old Testament for and translated as prince, prince. in, in uh, some many of our translations. Yeah. We, our president is in the sea today. Yes, the president is the sea. He's literally one who was uh, exalted or raised up. Yeah. 
So isn't that, isn't that interesting that for some reason that, that those are the two uh, adjectives and, and, or offices that, that he gets. So God is exalting him to his own right hand. Okay, We know that the Lord is at the right hand. We have these visions of different thrones in Daniel uh, sitting side by side. He is prince and a savior. Okay, he is the, uh, uh, that he might bring Israel to forgiveness. repentance and forgive their sins. And so, uh, again, so far through Acts, when you come to the message of the Messiah, it's repent for the forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. Right? That two, those, two, the, that, those actions go side, hand in hand. Repentance seems to be a thing in the Protestant world we've stopped preaching which is you know, a bit sad when that was the message of the early church. Repent, turn back, come back from, from something. And, and the purpose of the Redeemer was that he might bring who to repentance? Israel. Right? Yeah, again, if we wanted to say all the Gentiles out there and turn them into the church, we could have said it. But instead, um, the message at the moment is still in-house. Okay, the, 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 even when you're filled with the Spirit, right, they're still thinking internally. This is a good little Jewish problem we've got here. And, uh, and Peter's going to have to an extra special revelation to go beyond, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is a fantastic message for us that says, just because you're full of the Spirit, and you've all got it, I know you have, doesn't make us infallible. We still can say lies, we still can tell... From your perspective, if they could just get over the hump and get this out to repent, the Lord would immediately return. Yes. <laughs> he he said it repeatedly. Yeah. Yes. In his, in his sermons here. Yeah. Repent and, and you'll get forgiven. Right? We are witnesses of these things. And who else? So is the Holy Spirit. Yes. So the Holy Spirit, one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness. We've actually seen this before. Okay, that's one of the great things that he does. And here's an interesting caveat. Whom God has given to... Ah. So that's going to miss out some people. Interesting, isn't it? Not Those that believe him or trust him and obey him, it's all wrapped up together. Yeah. But isn't that interesting? Not, which is normally the way you would normally want us to say it. First of all, get baptized and then you get the Holy Spirit. Now it's, which God has given the Spirit, which is a witness to all who? Obey. Obey, follow, serve. Okay? Uh, um, which is an interesting way of, of talking. This is part of our sacred history. This is, um, so it's not an exact formula. Um, although here you have uh, Peter, who's going to assume speaking by the Holy Spirit. Although the text doesn't say that. Sometimes it says that. Here, here. It's very interesting that your book of uh, Act of Five the Spirit is already activating in all the believers yes. in such a way, so really activated in there for them to obey, obey. not to obey. Yeah. So that kind of the function of the Spirit is really powerful in the book of Acts, should I say that? Well, let's make sure that the chicken's not coming before the egg. Mm. Whom God, In this case, it says here, whom God has given, so God gives the Spirit to those who? Obey. So what are the people already doing first? Obeying, Obeying. Obeying. and then giving the Spirit. Which is going to help them to obey. obey the Lord, which means you might get some more of the Spirit, yeah, and that becomes a. But it's an interesting thing. You know, which which comes first? Do you get the Spirit and then you can obey God, 
or are you obeying God and get the Spirit? And you have to be very careful because you know good Protestant theology will definitely say it's one way. Yes. Okay, especially if you're Martin Luther. Right? Okay. After this was after Christ was was blowed the Spirit during the time where he appeared. That's in, you're talking about the time in John chapter 20, right, right. where he says, he receive the Holy Spirit. Yes. The Holy Spirit. That was already there. Right. Inside, right? He, the number of believers, though, has now grown. So now we've got 5,000 or so, maybe even more by this stage, believers in Jerusalem. We don't know how many of the surrounding towns, and we don't know how many now have taken the message outside. And uh, so Jesus hasn't blown into them. So here they're getting the Spirit through obedience, which is an interesting thought. Anyway, that's what the text says. So when they heard this, oh man, they're furious. Okay, and they're, why are they angry? Because they're angry about A, resurrection, and B, they're not going to stop, uh, and C, they're blaming them. <laughs> okay, oh, and by the way, we have the Holy Spirit. Because uh, we're obeying God. Ergo, you're, you're not. <laughs> okay, custodian of the temple of God. Okay, this, is a, it's, this, is, this is good in your face stuff. And uh, they're angry and they want to put them to death. So we're going to to definitely get rid of these these people. And then defense rises from an interesting source. And we find a Pharisee and we know his name, Gamliel. He is a teacher of the law. So um, he's a, 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 who has, who was, he's also the teacher of who? Who was honored by all the people. Okay. There is actually a, um, uh, uh, he was so, Gamliel was so um, well known that said that uh, when he died, um, the, the glory of the law ceased. Purity and abstinence died. You know, they, that, that, that's, it's a Talmudic saying in the, in the Mishnah. So it was just trying to say that his effect on the people through his Bible studies and his teaching, you know, people followed the Lord. But as soon as he died, they you know, went to the pub again and you know, went, went, started taking drugs and stuff. Um, so he had a, he has a very, he's, he's well known even in the Talmud as being an um, incredibly good speaker. And here, the book of Acts definitely reflects that too. He's from the school of Hillel. He is indeed. He was the last vestige fighting a, a rear battle against the Shammai people who had taken over the South Korean at the time. Yeah. Everybody knows those two schools? Yes. Mm-hmm. Shammai and Hillel? They're like denominations per se. It's streams of how you teach the Bible and how you interpret the tradition and how you make halakha. Uh, ways of behavior. Uh, we have them in, in all streams of, of Christianity and in Judaism. Uh, Halal was more stricter. So no, it, no, no, no. Oh, sorry. Shammai was more stricter. And Halal was more, yes, it had, had liberal, it had more of the intention of the heart. They, they didn't live in parallel, actually. Hillel was much earlier. And then, so there was a process going on for these generations that was culminating in, the, in this uh, strict, hard, uh, vengeful law-keeping of Shammai, which we're getting right here. So, for example, one discussion would be, um, when are we allowed to eat milk with meat? Like, how long between having a meat meal can we have milk? 
that's today, right? But but in the in the past, Shammai was very strict and would say, yes, like half a day. So if you had cereal for breakfast, you can't have steak until the evening. How, you will not be having chicken for lunch, right? That's just too soon. And Hillel comes along and says, oh no no, change of a tablecloth, right? Because you know, different meal. So you can have a bowl of cereal, get up, put the bowl of cereal away, and sit down and have a steak. Cannot do that today, right? So you can see that the the halacha is uh, one would say, look, it's they're trying not to don't put them together in the same bowl. Whereas uh, Shammai is saying, don't put them in the same bowl in here. Wait, let it go through your system. So he was more stricter, and Arya was right. He's right. Shammai was winning the day. Okay, the strict interpretation is alive and well at the time of Jesus. Although Halal school is there still too. Gamliel is of him, and he stands up. And he says, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do. Okay, so think before you act. Some time ago, and he begins to go through these, these messianic characters that have appeared. Uh, this guy Thutis, whom we have no idea who he is, claiming to be somebody, the Messiah. Right? Uh, and it had about 400 men rally to him. You know, Everybody loves to follow leaders, especially charismatic ones. He dies. <laughs> All his followers dispersed. It came to nothing. Then there was this other guy, Judas the Galilean, another zealot, appeared in the days of the census. Not the census that... It's another later census. Okay? Not the census that we find in Matthew 2. Uh, he, he does, they do a rebellion. It doesn't work. And his followers are all killed and scattered. Therefore, here's the, 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 the ruling <coughs> that I advise you. Leave him alone. Yeah, they're, they're not they're not instigating a, a, a rebellion right now and even if they are what are the Romans going to do not come in and kill them right? a, for if the, if their purpose or activity is of human origin it will fail and he has a precedent okay everybody else who runs up and says the Messiah they're obviously not so if people these guys are running around saying Jesus the Messiah and we don't think he is then uh, it's going to come to nothing but if it is from God now this is interesting so he, what, what does this imply? If it is in God, you will, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourself fighting against God. So what is, what is Gamliel thinking? He's a Kafir. He's definitely one of those. Same. It's, it's, <clears throat> what's his granddaughter doing at this time? Anyone know? Shephala. Yep. Her name is Joanna. And in the book of Luke, she's named as one of the rich women who's paying for Jesus' ministry. Okay? And uh, according to tradition, who buried Stephen? Gamliel. According to tradition to this day, you can go to Gamliel's tomb, and it actually has a sign, burial place of Stephen. Okay? As, uh, is that, according to tradition, he said, he said Stephen should never have been killed. This is terrible what you've done, so I'll bury him in my own family tomb. Is this Beit Chamal or is it that one? Beit Chamal, okay, which you can go to today. Okay, and uh, so we, so Gamliel actually is a. It doesn't say anywhere that he himself became a follower of the Messiah. It does not say that. Okay, but he definitely, he definitely did not want to stop the movement. He certainly didn't want to do anything against his own granddaughter. Okay, um, and uh, and and. He may have also acknowledged that, look, 
I, I, uh, I'm a witness to the resurrection too. We all are. Okay? We, we were here in the temple when a whole bunch of people walked in, in here on the day of resurrection. We saw the, the earthquake. Um, I'm not blind to miracles. This actually could be from God. And if it is, I ain't going to stop it. Where is it written about the granddaughter? Where? It's in Luke. Gospel of Luke? Yep, Gospel of Luke. What's the name? Joanna. Isn't that a nice name, Joanna? Yeah. <laughs> so, his... Gamliel? The Lord has... A Gamal. Recompense me. Yeah. So the uh, his speech or my reward is God. Is it Gamal? Yeah. My compensation is God, and my reward is God. It also has Gibilut Chasidim. It also has a. Uh, That's from the same. Same uh, root. Same root. Yeah. Okay, his speech is persuasive. So the Sanhedrin is mixed. If, the, if it was just dominated by purely Sadducean, then they would outdo them. But it's a kind of split, and, and he manages to win over uh, enough of the Sadducees too. So they call in the apostles and beat him anyway. <laughs> okay, and, um, and then they order them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Done this before. Let them go. And result is the apostles leave the Sanhedrin and they rejoice. Yay, we've just had a good thrashing. It's awesome. Okay. But they consider themselves worthy of suffering for disgracing of the name. And isn't that interesting that uh, it, it would be good if we could also have that grace to be able to praise the Lord for any sufferings we have in his name. Um, no one likes to suffer. I don't think anyone in this room thinks it's a really good idea. Uh, but... What does uh, the New Testament say? Suffering produces? Perse yes, perseverance, character, and, and hope. If we suffer with him, we will reign. Right, with him. exactly. And so there is a strong element within, or there should be, within Christian theology of the sufferings, of joining in the sufferings of the Messiah. Okay. And, uh, and they do. And they consider it fantastic. Okay. So they praise the Lord. Uh, for for just just to have had the opportunity to speak, to share, and to get a good thrashing. Not saying that that's what they want to do every day. Right? Not saying that we should start whipping ourselves like some people. Um, however, when it is time for us to suffer, then take courage and, uh, and support each other through it because it's, in some weird way, a blessing. I know that sounds weird. Uh, it's a, yes, and they considered it a privilege here. Uh, for, to, to, for, for, you know, they, they're doing something called Kiddush Hashem, right? The sanctification of... Sorry? That, that actually might be in a commentary somewhere. Yeah. yeah I'm not Not very directly, but... I only remember Paul saying, in order, like in Philadelphia, Jesus with his suffering. Remember? Paul used to say, my suffering can fill up 
to share with Jesus. That's properly. right. Yes, he does. How did he say that? Yeah. Actually, Aria has had a has had a good study on this, and we've actually in, yeah. enjoyed that Paul actually acknowledges that he actually partakes in the sufferings exactly. of the Messiah and continues on the work. He was filling up what was missing in the cross sufferings of Christ. Yes, which is an interesting thing to say for Paul. And maybe one day we should actually have a little discussion on that. Okay. Is that okay one day? Yeah, we'll, get, we'll have a get that. All right. So day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. So now there's an interesting... Normally they're just meeting in the temple, but we're now also getting smaller houses. Uh, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The thing I like about this is that they've been beaten and they've been physically abused, yes. but they're still doing it in the temple. Yeah. I mean, they're taking opportunity to visit houses and, and, and explain the detail to people who are really interested, or maybe the people who are a bit scared, but they're still there in the temple. Yeah. Yeah. I have this idea that when the angel, first of all, in the beginning of the story, comes and lets them out, and it's, it's in the middle of the night, so maybe there's a couple of hours that they've got to Could be. consider it. And the disciple said, okay, you guys ready for round two? Yeah. Because you know, the angel is sending them up onto the temple. Yeah. So here, they, they just keep going back to the temple, to the public place, right in the face of the Sanhedrin, who met on the temple map. Yeah. 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 And who beat them up. Yeah. Yeah, you know they come along and say, "Hello, officer. That was a wonderful beating yesterday. Um, I'm going to go over there and preach to Jesus." Is that okay? <laughs> uh, but they do, and and I think that's you know, very courageous. And may we all have that courage. Uh, amen. So, all right, great. Next week, um, I will be in uh, America, and Neville is will take us through. The uh, choosing of uh, chapter six, the choosing of the. Probably run into chapter seven as well. And, uh, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the city of the king.